0: If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter ten. You'll recall we looked at Second Samuel chapter nine a few weeks ago. We're going to continue in Second uh, Samuel chapter uh, ten this week. I, I read a scripture from Psalm one twenty, and it ministered to my heart. And I'd like to share it with you tonight. Psalm 120 verses 6 through 7 says, My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I really like it in the message. It says, I am all for peace, but the minute I tell them so, they go to war. The voice is even better. It says, my soul has roamed much too long among people who despise peace. I am for peace. I ask for peace, but even as I open my mouth, they are ready to fight. Clearly, the psalmist longed for peace, for the shalom of God, the well-being of God with those he lived among. Can you hear the pain in his words? He's weary of not living in peace with those around him. He was for peace. He was desirous of it. He wanted to promote it with those in relationship with him. But yet their response to him was not one of peace. It was one of war, combative, and full of conflict. I wonder if you've ever experienced that in a relationship with someone else, that no matter what you do, no matter how much you long for peace with them, they refuse your attempts. What do you do when that happens? Romans twelve eighteen says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, sometimes it's not, but as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Sadly, it's not always possible, but we can do our part even if they don't do theirs. We can be for peace. <laughs> but like the psalmist quickly realize, they are still desirous of war. Nonetheless, you and I need to do our part and live at peace with all men. What do you do? When you are all for peace and the one you desire to be at peace with just stirs up war. You do what the psalmist did. If you look back at Psalm 120 and verse 1, I like it in the Amplified. It says, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord and he answered me. If you cry to the Lord, be confident that he will answer you. Psalm 56.9 says, the very moment I called to you for a father's help, the tide of the battle turns and my enemies flee. And God, we have put our trust, and so we need to choose not to be afraid because we're mindful that if God be for us, who can be against us? And that's what I'd like to talk to you tonight as we open up the words of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 10, but would you just pray with me first? Father God, I just thank you and I praise you that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, that you're ever-present that you are a good, good Father. And if indeed you be for us, who can be against us? Father, I'm mindful of what an awesome responsibility it is to open up your word tonight before the people. Lord, I ask you to help me to clearly and effectively minister your word. I'm asking, Father, that my words would not be wise and persuasive, Lord, but that they would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. I pray that you would grant me authority with your word. Lord, your word says that when, when Jesus taught, they were amazed because he taught as one with authority. Lord, would you grant me that authority? Would you help me to boldly and confidently expound on your word? Give me wisdom even as I teach, Lord God. I pray that as your word goes forth, Lord, that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would attach to it, Lord God, and it would penetrate hearts and minds, that you would do a supernatural work in this place tonight with your supernatural word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 10. It happened after this. Don't miss that. It happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanan. His son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to the land of the people of Ammon. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Therefore, because they said that to him, therefore, Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-rohab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Mekah, 1,000 men, and from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array. Have you ever had somebody put themselves in battle array and come at you? They stood at the entrance of the gate, and the Syrians of Zobah, Beth-Rohab, and Ishtab, and Makkah were there by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, He chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians and the rest of the people he put under the command of Abshai, his brother, and he he set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong. For our people and for the cities of God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. I, I, it's interesting to me that Psalm 120 that I read, that I opened up this evening with, it, it's doubtful, commentators believe it's doubtful that David wrote that, and, uh, but it's clear from David's life and in the story that we read tonight that he did not desire war with the neighboring peoples. But we see that he's almost continually at war with one of them. I, I believe that he was a mighty warrior, but I believe that his heart was always inclined to peace. We, we know that because the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. But you see, at this time, David was increasing in power and his kingdom, well, he was reigning in power and his kingdom was advancing, and, and people were intimidated by him. They were jealous of his greatness and envious of his power. He desired peace. But people, and the same is true today, I'm just going to be honest with you. We must search our heart in this message. People in their insecurity will make you their foe. Because they see something in you that is intimidating. Something in you that's great. Something in you they're jealous of. Something in you they're envious of. And they will make you their foe because of their own insecurities. Church, we must not do that. We must not do that. Look at how this passage opens. It happened after this. Uh, This is used to introduce a narrative that's chronological in order. It indicates relationship with what happened before. This is important because we know the chapter before, we studied it numerous weeks ago, that, that it follows the story of Mephibosheth. And the connection between these two stories that the author is making is the use of hesed. I will show kindness, I will show Hesed, loving kindness, mercy, grace, undeserved favor. We, we studied that several weeks ago. In the story of Mephibosheth, you will recall that David begins that chapter by saying, Is there anyone here who I can show kindness, the Hesed of God, to? Someone who's undeserving, and yet I will keep, I will show loving kindness to them. He starts out chapter 10 the exact same way. But I want you to see, That in one situation, the situation with Mephibosheth, that kindness, the hesed, is received. But in the other one, the one we're looking at tonight, hesed is rejected. In one situation, loving kindness or mercy or grace brought healing, in the case with Mephibosheth. But in this situation, it started a war. I was thinking about that for the last several weeks as I've been writing this message, and I I, I thought to myself, what causes someone to reject loving kindness when it's offered? What causes someone to reject love? What causes someone to, to reject an offer of genuine grace and mercy? Have you ever reached out to someone in kindness and mercy, and they rejected you? Church, how is it possible That someone can be so broken, so hardened, so wounded and messed up that they reject someone reaching out to them in love or worse yet because of their insecurities and jealousies wound and cause a war with that person reaching out. That's what we're going to see in this story tonight. And I pray... That as we look at this story, each one of us looks into our own heart. Trust me, I've had to do that this week. In this story, the Ammonites were a people who repaid kindness with hostility. Do you know anyone like that? The kind of person who you truly desire to have peace with, but even as you open your mouth, as Psalm 120 says, they are ready for war. It's important that you understand who the Ammonites are. Were They were descendants of Lot. Remember, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And, and therefore, the Ammonites, the people we are talking about tonight that brought war on David and Israel, remember, the Ammonites would have been distant relatives of the Israelites. If you recall from the, the study of Exodus that we did this past year when the Israelites were going through the promised land, the Israelites were prohibited by the Ammonites from passing through their land. And yet, as we read in Deuteronomy 219, God issued a strong command concerning the Ammonites. I, I can't understand why, because they were not good to Israel. And yet God said, When you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them. For I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. And you see, David would have known about that command from God. I believe that's one of the reasons that he wanted to show uh, Hanan uh, Hesed. But commentators say there, there was probably another reason that David wanted to show him Hesed. See, we don't know much about David's relationship with King Nahash, the, the king who just died, but we do know a lot about Nahash's relationship with, with David's number one enemy, King Saul it was not good. And, and what's the saying? Uh, you know, uh, your enemy's uh, your, your best enemy is your friend. <laughs> and so it was important to, to Nahash that he knew that David and Saul were enemies and that David was after Saul and that David was mighty. And so it was to his best interest to, to get in good with David. And so commentators believe that Nahash must have been a part of hiding David when he was fleeing for his life from Saul. And now because of that, David was looking for a way to repay Nahash, to be kind to to someone, uh, to repay that kindness. And that's why he went to offer condolences to his son. So David's motives, I believe, the commentators I read believe that his, his motives were pure here. Please understand that. When he sent people to comfort uh, Hanan, son of Nahash, in, in, when his father died, his motives were pure. In fact, we know that those men that he sent were not even, they didn't even have weapons. Because we know that because their beards were shaved and their garments were cut off. There is no way they would tolerate that if they had weapons. And even though David's motives were pure, his actions were grossly misinterpreted. Because they were skewed through a mis, uh, through uh, uh, they were viewed through a skewed impression of him. David sent a convoy out to comfort Hanan and show him kindness to console him in the loss of his father, and yet Hanan's advisors were easily offended and suspicious in nature, and they misinterpreted David's actions and thought he was coming to spy out the land and gain an advantage over them. David's actions weren't military in any way, and and yet what David meant for good was we paid with harm. He wanted to dwell in a place of peace with them, but they were only interested in stirring up war. Oh, as I read this this week, I, I thought to myself, we are so prone to suspect other people's motives. So often we cherish ill will towards others. This whole story reeks of ill will and bitterness. You see, someone doesn't even have to know us to have ill will towards us because ill will and bitterness is a heart condition. Insecurity is a heart condition. Coming against somebody's reputation and tainting someone's opinion of another is a heart condition. And we see that in this story. Look at verse 3. It says, the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, their lord, do you think that David really honors your father because he sent comforters to you? Even though David's intentions were pure, Hanan and his advisors were embittered because their hearts were full of war. As a result, those around Hanan whispered in the ear of Hanan and skewed his view of, of David's men. Remember, you have to understand that the Ammonites had to fight to survive. That was their whole life. That was their whole life story. It's all they've ever known is to fight to survive, to fight to keep their land, to fight to keep what belonged to them. They lived on the defensive. And because of their history, they were in a place where they were suspicious of the motives of others and they distrusted everyone. Have you ever been like that? Have you had to fight to survive in the situation that you're in? Have you been hurt so many times by surprise attacks that now you're suspicious of everyone's motives? That, that in order to protect yourself, you are, looking, you are you're asking yourself, could they really be true? Are they really just being kind to me, but really they're going to stab me in the back later? Are you suspicious of everyone's motives because you have been a man of war all your life and you've had to fight to survive? David's men had no evil intentions, and yet because Hanan received the words of those around him, his view of David's men was tainted. We must be careful whose voice we're listening to and who we're letting taint our picture of someone. The enemy of our soul, one of his names is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before the Father. He accuses us to other people. He whispers things about us to other people and skews their thinking of us, and he He accuses us to ourselves. And when we behave like that, when we are an accuser of the brethren, we behave like him. Just yesterday, I was talking to someone innocently about something and I said too much. I should not have said the things that I said. And the Lord convicted me when I left them. And the Lord said to me, Ria, your opinion and what you just said could have tainted that person's view of the person you were talking about. I immediately got on the phone and I called and I said, I need to apologize to you because I do not in any way want to taint your view of anyone. I don't want to be a gossip. I don't want to have ill will towards anyone. I don't want any words coming out of my mouth to be part of the accuser of the brethren. Church, we've got to pay attention. We have to be careful what we say even in an innocent conversation like I was having. We need to decide, will we join forces with the accuser of the brethren or intercede and stand in the gap for the brethren? We have to be careful that not even words spoken in innocence or in response to someone's question ever taint their view of someone else. The Ammonites were suspicious of David's actions. They were people of war, and so even David's pure actions were filtered through their brokenness and thereby were interpreted as evil. Their hearts were filled with suspicion and distrust. James 4 says, what is the cause of your conflicts, your wars, and your quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and to fulfill your own desires? You jealously want what others have. And so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme and envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. The Ammonites had learned to live locked and loaded in their desire to protect themselves. They had developed a guarded attitude that they filtered everything through their belief that they couldn't trust anyone and that everyone was out to get them. You see, that was the culture that they lived in. They had to live locked and loaded. Someone could come in and take over their territory to take over their land and they had to be ready to fight at any given moment. And church, sometimes I think we live like that. Sometimes I think we've been so hurt, we've been so wounded, we've been so betrayed by people we should have been able to trust. We've put our trust in somebody and they do us dirty. And then every time that happens, we put up a wall that gets deep and gets thicker and thicker. And we think, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. And we become embittered. And we start to distrust everybody and be suspicious of their their motives. And we live locked and loaded, ready to go off at any moment. We live ready for war when all people want is peace. The Ammonites had to protect themselves. You and I think we do too, but we have a God who's able. So even a gesture of kindness was misinterpreted by them. I wonder just if any of us have ever lived in that place where we're easily offended where we feel slight as somebody says something innocent and we read something negative into it. We take offense. I'm gonna to talk to you about that because you said this and we live locked and loaded, ready to go off at any minute because we're trying to protect ourselves. And that, dear one, is a job that only God can do. It's a job that only God can do. And you are keeping people at a distance. You are keeping people at war with you by doing that. And God wants to bring down those walls. He wants to demolish them tonight. We don't need to analyze every word. We don't need to scrutinize every action. We don't need to dissect every conversation. We can let our guard down and trust God instead of being terrified of ever being hurt again if you're being brutally honest, have you ever been like that? Where you have so much war around you, fought so many battles, and as a result, you're living locked and loaded. Living in such a place of self-protection that everything someone does or says is filtered through your previous pain and hurt. Think about how David's men must have felt. They didn't even do anything wrong. They were just following the king's orders. (laughs) They were just being obedient to what their king told them to do. And now their beards get shaved in half and and their clothing gets cut off at at the buttocks. Can you imagine, picture that? They're just doing the king's will. And they were put in a place of being offended, of being hurt, of a war being started with them. Jesus himself said, you can be sure that offenses will come in this life, but woe to the man through whom they come. Offense is going to come. It's in red, Jesus said it. People are going to hurt us. People are going to wound us. People are going to do us dirty, but we need to determine now, before it comes, how we're going to respond. You cannot control the actions of others, but you can, dear one, control your responses and your reactions to them. Stephen Furtick says, offense is an event Offend it is a choice. Let me say that again. Offense is an event. Living offended is a choice. Look at verse four. Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle of their buttocks and sent them away. Do you have a picture in your mind? You might not think much of this in the western world today but what they did to David's men was an act of humiliation and disgrace. It could have caused them it would have caused them public disgrace and embarrassment it was the ultimate insult. They all they were aiming to do was disgrace them to embarrass them to dishonor them. Have you ever felt dishonored by someone? Do you know what it's like to be embarrassed or filled with shame? That's how David's men felt. And remember, they, they were doing this as they were following the king's will. Sometimes even when you're doing the king's will, when you're trying to be, obedient to what the king of kings has told you to do, somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to dishonor you. Somebody's going to disgrace you. But how will you respond when it happens? According to Eliot's commentary, cutting off a man's beard was the most extreme insult which could have been inflicted. Cutting off a person's beard is regarded by the Arabs as an indignity quite equal to flogging and branding among ourselves. Many would rather die than have their beard shaved off. A man's beard was the pride of an Israelite male. Scripture is clear, a beard should only be shaved as a sign of mourning or as an act of humiliation. And, and remember, they didn't just shave the beard, they shaved half of it. So the other half of their face was left bearded. And they didn't just shave uh, half their beard, they, they cut their, their robe off at the buttocks. Now, you, you need to understand, at that time, men's dress consisted of a long flowing tube tunic. And remember, we studied in Exodus Only the priests wore undergarments. Uh Uh-huh, you follow me? No underwear. Long garment cut off at the buttocks. Men. Got the picture? I said to Dave, do you think I should really go into detail? He said, no. (laughs) But I will if it's going to help you. Imagine walking away. Men, macho, tough guys. Robes cut off. At the buttocks. You with me? Humiliation. And they had to get back to Jerusalem like that. Can, can you just imagine what they must have felt like? And because it was a short trip, commentators said that, that it was highly unlikely that they would have brought a change of clothing so what Hanan's men did to them would have been humiliating and disgraceful, but such an action would have been a challenge to war. When all David wanted was peace and harmony. He sent men to them as an act of kindness, and it was rejected. Have you ever met someone like that? That no matter how many steps towards peace you make, they are only interested in war. So verse 5, when they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said to him, wait at Jericho. This is really important. If you miss everything else I say, don't miss this. Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, then return. Uh, You see, like the servants of David, the servants of Christ, us, can be objects of scorn and humiliation when all they're trying to do is be faithful to their king. But David, he, he, he heard what happened to them and he sent out to meet them because he knew they were greatly ashamed. And that word sent out to meet them, it means he had an encounter. They had an encounter with the king. He wanted them to have an encounter with the king before they got back in their humiliation, in their, in their shame. He wanted them to encounter him before they got back and were humiliated. That word ashamed, it means to be ashamed, to be humiliated, but it also means to be wounded. I really like that. He says, I want you. He said he sent out to meet with them, and he says, I I don't want you to come back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait to tarry, to dwell in Jericho until your beards grow back, because guess what? Your beards are going to grow back. I know you're embarrassed right now. I know you're humiliated right now. I know you feel dishonored, but trust me, dear one, your beard is going to grow back. Just wait in Jericho. Does anybody know what the name Jericho means? Place of fragrance. It means a pleasant place. Uh, The king. Remember, I'm drawing a picture for you of our king. The king says, I know you're humiliated, I know you're ashamed, I know you've been done dirty, and you want to march back in Jerusalem and tell everybody what they did to you, and you want to stir up war against them as well, but you know what, that's not going to work. I, your king, I'm telling you, to dwell in a pleasant place, to get back to a fragrant place, and you dwell there till your beard grows back. Oh, Church! What would happen? Yes, Carla, we should be clapping with that because what would happen when we are offended, when we are hurt instead of being suspicious and distrusting everything? Trust me, shame on you. Hurt me once. (laughs) Shame on me, but hurt me twice. Shame on you. You will never get that close again. I'm gonna be suspicious of everything you do. I'm gonna analyze every word you say because I've been so hurt. I've been so wounded. And so I have to protect myself. And i am going to be critical of everything you do and say because I am protecting myself. And I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to hold you at a distance, and I'm going to be at war with you, even though all you want is peace with me. You're just seeking peace with me. You want to love me. You want to reach out to me. You want peace. But because I'm so broken, because I'm a woman of war, because I've been so done dirty, I have fought wars all my life. And because of that, I'm going to be locked and loaded. And all you want is peace. And my king tonight is coming in your life. And he's saying, come on, dear one. Don't go start a war. Dwell in Jericho. Get back to that fragrant place. Do you know what the scripture says? That we are what? The fragrance of God. We are to spread everywhere. Have you ever been around a woman who had good perfume? I hate cheap perfume. I hate it so much. Dave. I hate. Do I hate, I hate cheap perfume? I hate it. And, and, and so my man, he spoils me rotten. And he buys me really good perfume. And have you ever been around somebody when they spray perfume and, and they waft you? Like they, they will come by and you're like, what was that? Have you ever? That's what we're to do for Christ. Waft the world with the fragrance of his love, not with war. I really am concerned about this. I'm concerned about the, the, the emails we send to people in the name of, I have to be a Christian. I, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. I, what would I be if I didn't send you this email? <laughs> or I, I just feel like I have to say this to you. Really? Really? Or I need to call this out in you, really. Or I just need to set you in the right place again. I just think you're off course, really. How about you spread some fragrance? How about you be so loving and so kind and so good that you leave me with that scent? Maybe then my walls will start coming down. The king said, I know that you're humiliated. I know you were just doing what I told you to do and you got hurt. (laughs) But could you just stay in a fragrant place? Could you be intentional about dwelling in a pleasant place? Don't let what they did to you cause a war. Because you know David's men were like, I am going back. I'm going to tell everybody what awful people they are and what they did to me. And, and, you know, everything's hanging out. And I'm just going to show it. This is what the Ammonites did to me. Everybody get their guns. I mean, you know that's what they were thinking. And the king stopped him and said, this is my battle. Can, Can you let me fight this battle for you? And you... Just stay in Jericho. I'm telling you, this is the story of my life. You've been offended, Rhea. You've been hurt. You've been absolutely disgraced by what somebody has done to you. Your nakedness, that's your vulnerability, has been exposed. But Rhea, could you just be purposeful? about staying in a pleasant place. And could you trust me to fight this battle for you? Because the king, who knows? David was a warrior. The king will fight the battle. You know, the only battle, that, I just wrote this in my Bible this week uh, about Bathsheba. Up until this point, David never lost a battle. This was a giant more powerful than him. He never lost a battle until he hit that woman. Until he started lusting in his heart. Every, he was a warrior. He won his battles. David said, you just stay in Jericho till your beard grows back. Because it will grow back. You're not going to always feel humiliated. You're not going to always feel this deep sense of shame. You're not going to always have a reason for people to look at you and, and with scorn. Will you trust me? You just stay in that pleasant place. And you trust me to fight this battle. You see, when we've been wronged or hurt, we have to be intentional about staying in a pleasant place. Do you know, he says to him, he says, I want you to stay in, in Jericho. And Jericho means fragrant place. It means pleasant place. But this week I found out that it means, in Joshua 6, 17, it says that Jericho was a city devoted to Jehovah. Mm. You see, I've been studying about Jehovah. How much time do I have? I've been studying about Jehovah. Oh, I want to tell you, Leslie, I want to tell about Yahweh, but I won't. It's so good. Leah, it's so good, isn't it? Yahweh, so good. I I really want to tell you about this, but I'm studying Jehovah, and Jehovah is Yahweh. Yahweh is the great I am. (laughs) Rhea, I know you've been offended. I know you've been hurt, but but I, I want you to stay in a place devoted to Jehovah because you understand I am. Uh, You don't have to fight back when you've been humiliated and disgraced and hurt. and, And when somebody started a war against you that you didn't deserve. You don't have to fight back. You can stay in a place devoted to Jehovah. When you understand he is the great I am. Everything you have need of, he is. He is the captain of the host. The captain of the army. Do you understand? If we just stay in that place devoted to Jehovah. We have to be intentional about it because Proverbs 18, 19 through 21 says, it's easier to conquer a strong city than to win back a friend who you've offended. Their walls go up, making it nearly impossible to win them back. That's scripture. And that says, you know, when we get offended, we can be harder to win back than a strong city. Why is that? When we're called to spread everywhere the fragrance of Christ. Because our walls go up, and we can be harder and more fortified. And then it's not just when we've been offended once. Then every offense, our walls get thicker and thicker and thicker, and we become a fortified city. David says, stay in the pleasant place. Stay in that place of fragrance. Your beard's going to grow back, and the king will fight your battle for you. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. I I was going to do a series on this. This, ch- this chapter of Romans, it's powerful. I spent a lot of time studying it. You can see I have spent a lot of time studying it, and, and I love it. But I want to look at it tonight, just a few verses. It says, Repay no one, evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, look how tender that is. Dear one, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Not on mine, I will. Therefore, because of that, because you know he will repay. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how we fight back. We overcome evil with good. We stay in the pleasant place and watch what happens. Good overcomes evil. And the king takes vengeance. And that's what happens next in the story. The king is going to take vengeance. We see in verses six and following over and over, we, we see that they rally forces against David. What really bothers me is that it wasn't enough that Hanan and his advisors had tainted the, the Hanan's view of David. Now their next step was to petition others to join in the battle against David and his men. Don't miss that. They went out and they hired mercenaries. They went out and, and got neighboring uh, countries to turn against David and to join forces against him. And I wonder if we ever do the same thing. That when we perceive someone is going to hurt us or think they have bad intentions towards us, we petition others to join the ranks with us. We form alliances with others in our fear and in our attempt to limit, to limit the power of the person we're threatened by. We smear their names to others. We try to look good in the eyes of the people making them look bad. And that is wrong. It's wrong. I'm telling you, this is so wrong. We don't understand the power. We have even just listening to someone trying to taint the view of another. My mom used to say to me, Ria, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. And you see, the more we push through that, the harder our heart becomes. That's why yesterday, even though my conversation seemed innocent to me, when the Lord convicted me of it, I had to get on the telephone and call that person and apologize. And I'm telling you, if, we, if I would have pushed through that and ignored it, the next time it would have been easier. And the next time it would have been easier. We need to watch what's coming out of our mouth. And we need to not taint the view of others. Speak evil about anyone in any way, nor entertain what somebody else is saying about someone for even a moment. They hired mercenaries. They were out for blood. The Bible says that they were surrounded and they were, they were facing a battle on two fronts. They were, people were in front of them and people were coming behind them and, and they, were, they were getting overwhelmed. But I want you to notice quitting was not an option. In verse 12, Joab comes and he says, be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and for the cities of God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. They were surrounded on all sides and it didn't look good. It looked as if they were going to be defeated from the front and from behind. But he called on the Lord in the midst of the battle. I want you to notice that Joab prepared for the battle, but he let the outcome for God. David realized God was for him and he would take care of him, that he had nothing to fear. He trusted God to do what was right. Joab trusted God to do what was right. And that caused him not to withdraw from the fight, but to draw near. And because of that, the enemy fled. One of my favorite scriptures is, is Proverbs sixteen seven. It says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with them. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. That word please, it means to agree with, to be in agreement or harmony with. It means to be equal in value. It means that when our ways, the way we're living is in harmony with God's ways, he makes even our enemies live at peace with us. You say, well, Ria, you don't know what they're doing to me. I, I will say this to you. I know my God. And his word says that when your ways are are pleasing to him, when you're doing what he tells you to do, when you're staying in the pleasant place, when you're staying in that fragrant place, even when you've been offended and hurt, I promise you he will make even your enemies live at peace with you. Job says, let us be strong for the people and for the cities of our God. Sometimes we have to show ourselves courageous. We have to purposely be courageous and show ourselves that way for the benefit of our children and our family. We have to behave ourselves valiantly because we trust in God. And we trust him to do what's right. That's where Joab was. His courage rose to the highest level as a result of his tr- total trust that he had in God to do what was right. You see, that's how you can stay in Joab, even when your enemy is, is causing a war against you. Even when behind the scenes, your enemy is scheming against you. Even when they're not sorry for what they did to you. That's how you can do that. That's how you can stay in a pleasant place. That's how you can continue to spread the fragrance of God, even in spite of it. Even when you've been humiliated. Even when you've been disgraced. Even when you've been done dirty. You can stay in that pleasant place because you understand. One of my favorite scriptures is, Will not the God of all the earth do what is right? You don't know how many times I have to say to myself, will not the God of all the earth do what is right? Because what was just done to me was wrong. And I'm just here to tell you, you do not want to mess with me. Because I know how to fight. And I won't fight you. (laughs) I will fight in Jericho. And I will declare, will not the God of all this earth do what is right by me? That when I, when my ways are pleasing to you, Lord, you promise me that you will make even my enemies live at peace with me. You see, that's why we have to know the word. Because we can't stay in Jericho if we have to fight with, our, with weapons that are not of this, that are, that are earthly in nature. In Jericho, we fight not with carnal weapons, but we fight with weapons that are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. We fight with weapons that no man can stand against. And we trust that will not the God of all this earth do what is right. Job says, we're just going to fight because we are going to rest right now that in the end, God will do what is right. Trusting God in the battle. Notice, if you read the rest of this chapter, that the enemy flees and then he comes back again even stronger. That, that's the enemy we have. He's persistent. We fight a persistent enemy. When Jesus was being tempted, the word says that he fought him off. He fought the enemy off with scripture and and, and then the enemy left him. And the Bible says, until a more opportune time. Your enemy, he might have backed off for a little bit, but I promise you, he's just waiting for a more opportune time when you're vulnerable, when you're weak, when you're not expecting him. And that's why we have to be ready to fight the same way Jesus fought with the word of God. Confident in the God we serve, confident in the great I am, confident in Jehovah. In closing, I, I just want to, to reiterate to you that these men were only following the king's orders. They were only fulfilling his wishes and they, uh, they were doing what he commanded and they encountered unfair treatment. And the same is true with us. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. See, the first thing we do when we get trouble is we question God and his goodness to us. When he's the one who said in this world, you will have trouble. He warned us. But will you trust God to do what is right? Will you stay in a pleasant place? Will you abide in the place devoted to God and not seek revenge or get even? One last scripture before we close. And I want you to turn here because it's profound to me. Ezekiel chapter 25, verse 15. Ezekiel, so uh, go to Isaiah and then back. Uh, Ezekiel 25, verse 15. The Philistines, the Philistines were one of the most vicious, Dave, am I correct? One of the most vicious armies in the Old Testament. They were, they were vicious fighters. They were, you didn't want to come up against the Philistines. And the Philistines were so spitefully vengeful. All of those centuries have stored up malice, and they did their best to destroy Judah. Look at that. All of those centuries of stored-up malice caused them to be spitefully vengeful. All those years of living locked and loaded, storing up wrongs. I really liked, there's another translation that says, because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with deep contempt, destroying because of their ancient hatred. An ancient hatred, something they refused to let go of that caused them to act in vengeance and take revenge with deep contempt. I'm just going to tell you, there is nothing worse than an offended man, an offended woman. I I do a lot of work with wives of husbands who are sexually addicted and wives whose husbands have cheated on them, who have gone to prostitutes, who have just done incredible things to them. And they have every reason in the world to be angry every reason to be bitter, every reason to be vengeful. And my biggest goal in working with them is to not educate them in sex addiction. My biggest goal with them is to keep them from getting embittered. Because you can see it. I'm, I'm telling you, when they first come to me, uh, those of you that, are, that have been in one of my groups, you, you can testify to this. Their, their faces are bitter, angry, distorted, beautiful women, who are distorted with anger because of what's happened to them. And the worst part is they feel justified. They are justified. If you could hear some of the stories, it would make your mouth drop open. But I will constantly bring them back to a place and say, regardless of what has been done to you, forgive them. Let it go. Because what they're doing to you through your bitterness and your unforgiveness and your hatred... They're still hurting you. Let it go. Stay in a pleasant place. Stay in a fragrant place. (laughs) Trust the king to get vengeance because he will. He'll take care of it. And yet I watch beautiful women who say, Rhea, that's just too much for me. (laughs) You're telling me to love and forgive somebody who's done me dirty, who's Cut off my robe at the buttocks and expose me and hurt me deeply. Yeah, I am. Well, I can't handle that, Rhea. Then be bitter. Let it destroy your life because it will. Let the hatred rise up within you and you get back. You keep getting back and you put up your walls and you continue to live with him and you, you just continue to just interact with him with those walls up and you become a bittered fortified city. For what? Because you want them to pay? That's so not worth it. I am staying in a pleasant place. I am not giving anybody that kind of power in my life. Nobody. You see What people do shows you what's inside of them. If someone's hateful, if they're full of anger and rage... All they're doing, dear one, is revealing what's inside of them. If someone is jealous and envious and they talk about you behind your back, they're just revealing what's inside of them. If someone is critical to you and thinks, they know it all, let me just give you some scripture and put you in your place. They're just revealing what's inside of them. If someone's nasty and unkind to you and snaps at you, they're just revealing what's inside of them. That's why we fill ourselves up with so much Jesus that when the world bumps into us, all that comes out is Jesus. Y'all can think she is crazy and way whacked out and way over the top, but I promise you, you bump into me, all that's coming out is Jesus. I will bless the socks off of you. Because I'm staying in Jericho. I will not give somebody that kind of power in my life. You can only have war with somebody. If you decide to enter into it. Stay in Jericho. The Philistines, that scripture that I read to you was so profound to me. Because it wasn't even their battle. It had been an age long battle. And, you know, uh, generations before them had taken offense. And now they were continuing in that offense. And as a result, they were living at war. They were a people of war. And scripture says they were filled with contempt and hatred. Not even because they were offended, because they were carrying an offense from years prior. Don't give somebody that kind of power. Stay in a pleasant place. As your beard will grow back, you'll get over what they did to you. You'll forget what they did. You'll watch your king fight the battle. And you'll be like, oh, man, I'm staying in a place devoted to God because that's what he does. If God before you, who in their right mind would be against you? You see, when you really get that deep in your spirit, it's liberating, It's liberating. So I'm going to ask Ian to come and close, and I'm going to pray for you before we go. And I really am not trying to minimize your pain. I, I know in a room this size what people are carrying, and I know the people that I counsel with and talk to and, and myself, the magnitude of pain and hurt and shame that can be layered on people. I get it. All I'm telling you is it's not worth it. Stay in a pleasant place. Put yourself in a place devoted to God. To Jehovah, the great I am. To Valant, to the valiant warrior, your God and King. Who never loses a battle, and who says I will? Re- I, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. You just focus on overcoming evil with good. It works, my friends. It works. So, Father God, I thank you and I praise you for every person in this room I thank you that you're a God who sees oh Lord it's the name that brings me the most comfort this week I said I read a scripture that says you keep track of every one of our sorrows oh oh, Lord praise your holy name that you keep track of every one of my sorrows. And you kept every tear I've ever cried in your bottle. That's how priceless my tears are to you, Lord. You see my pain and you're not turning a blind eye to it. Lord, I belong to you. And if God be for me, who in their crazy right mind could be against me? Lord, I pray for pleasant places. Pleasant places, Lord. You're the mender of our hearts, Father God. I know you know. Angry people who are so hurt. Walled in. Bitter people who are so fortified because they don't ever want to hurt again. Lord God, you know. This isn't about shaming them. It's about setting them free. Father, I pray that you, the mender of our broken hearts, would mend tonight. Lord meant what the enemy has meant for evil Lord I decree tonight that eyes are going to be opened and that they're going to realize that it was an enemy who did this not a person an enemy and what he meant for evil Lord you promise you'll use for good if we just stay in that pleasant place so Lord take us back to a pleasant place tonight break bondages break strongholds shatter them Lord in Jesus name I pray for every harmful, unkind word that's been spoken, murmured over people in this room. Words that went to the core of our being, Lord God, that wounded us so deeply. I declare and decree that tonight, a night of freedom, Lord God, when those words will lose power in Jesus' name. I nullify them Lord all authority has been given to me to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy and you say that nothing will harm us then Lord I pray for every harmful unkind hateful word I declare and decree I take authority over it now in the name of Jesus those words will no longer harm in Jesus name no longer Lord root them out root them out Lord I see a little boy, a little boy in my mind's eye whose father was careless with his words, angry, alcoholic even. And those words stung and they went deep. They were like a rocket into your heart, into your soul. Tonight, the Lord says, if you choose to tarry in Jericho in that pleasant place with him, in that place devoted to him, there's going to be a time of great healing and wholeness that takes place in your life. Jesus. Jesus. The name above all names. The name that's above all heartache, heartbreak, all shame and disgrace. Lord, I come against shame tonight in the name of Jesus. There are people here that are carrying shame over decisions that they made, over sin they committed, over things that was that was done to them that they did not they were innocent, and yet they're carrying shame because of it. Lord, their nakedness is not going to be exposed anymore. You're covering it up tonight, Lord. You're healing shame at the core tonight. No more. No more shame. I hear the word Hezbollah. His delight is in you. heard that a different way than I normally do I I always say to people do you know you're his Hebzibah his delight is in you and as I said that tonight he said I've put my delight in them there's a place of great delight of great joy it's a place of freedom freedom reigns in this house Ian do you know that song freedom reigns in this house Do you know that freedom reigns in this place? Full of mercy and grace. Freedom. Freedom reigns in this place. Pray for freedom. He said, you you won't carry shame anymore. A, A double portion is coming your way. A double portion. He doesn't want his children walking in shame. He was the scapegoat. He, shame was transferred to him and carried away. If you have to reach out your hand and pretend you're putting it on a, a scapegoat so it can be carried away, then you do that. But tonight, your shame is being carried away. You're not to carry that anymore, you've been exposed. Your nakedness has been exposed and shame came as a result and tonight, God is healing it. Tender mercies, Lord. I pray for those who are keeping a record of wrongs. It's the only way they can feel safe. They've been hurt so badly, Lord. Done so dirty. They're so afraid to trust. So afraid to trust. I thank you that you're their refuge. Their safe place where they can run. Their strong tower. They can run to you and be safe. I pray that tonight that you who say you're familiar with all our walls, that you would demolish some walls tonight, that you would begin to bring them down, Lord God, and that you, our protector, our defender, our strong tower, would prove to us that you are all we need. I give you such glory and honor praise your holy name. You are such a good, good father. Thank you that we belong to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.